Elena and I continue our discussion about the West Eastern Divan Orchestra and then talk about her early years as a cellist, beginning with the cello as a Christmas present at age four, spending 12 years at Juilliard, both preschool and bachelor's, followed by her move to Germany. How did you get the idea to write this book? I mean, in a way, you're letting the, the, the people write it for you, but you're doing a lot of writing yourself with the intermezzos, which are like the interludes. Yeah, well, I... Different people. I mean, it, I did feel like this book wrote itself. <laughs> but but the idea came from uh, just the, the press conferences. Well, it was a com- combination of... There were always a lot of press conferences around the orchestra. Um, and, and often a lot of the same people would speak at these press conferences, people who were the most eloquent and um, could communicate their message very well. And I thought, well, these people are great at doing that, and, and they are in this book, too. But there are also a bunch of people who have a lot to say who are not the kind of people who are maybe confident enough to be in a press conference. And um, so... And I wanted to get the entirety of the stories. And, you know, if you're in an orchestra and you you talk to different people, any orchestra has a whole lot of stories in it. Um, and and it's to me, it's, it's like this beautiful tapestry that comes together with all the different stories. And and you you don't notice these. You don't pick up on these stories when you're in rehearsal. uh when you're playing concerts together, it's, and then it's just about the music, but everybody's individual history contributes to the depth of personality that they have, that they can bring to the music. And, and so much of, of, um, what I find most touching in music is actually story. And I know that's, that's something that is probably more personal for me because there are obviously many more aspects to music than than narrative there's also, there are mathematical aspects and aesthetic aspects and everything but um but to me story is is the thing that really gets me going so um i just wanted those stories to reach the world mhm it's you know it's interesting just um, thinking of the orchestra itself and how it's a little bit different. Um, in the um, documentary, uh, Knowledge is the Beginning, there's one just very short section that shows Baron Boehm rehearsing the orchestra, and he stops to say something, and the orchestra is still talking, or at least there's a bunch of noise, and he sort of yells out, "Stop!" and it's immediately quiet. <laughs> I mean, and and but yet at the same time, you wrote in your book that somebody like Sharon Cohen, who's sitting in the back of the second violins, when they're discussing a political situation, everybody's on equal footing. So she could stand up and she could challenge Berenboim on something that he said in terms of, you know, if she disagrees with him or something like that. And that would not happen in a, a normal... <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it really orchestra. wouldn't. But that also really speaks for the kind of person that Sharon is. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. Not everybody had that kind of confidence. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I, I don't think I could do that, but yeah. <laughs> so, well, well, speaking of Berenboim, he sounds like he has this magnetic personality and that if he wants to do something, he's unstoppable in the way he wants to do it. Oh yeah, he's certainly very determined to 
achieve what he wants to achieve. Otherwise, this with the with the divan, it would never have been possible uh, otherwise. Um, because uh, a lot of the kids, when when they joined the orchestra, had not had the kind of training that most young musicians would have if they were to ever get into an orchestra where they would play with Barenboim. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they had very limited training and, and some, some of them had really terrible instruments too. And, uh, it, he was just so determined that this should, <laughs> this should work, uh, that just, you know, by, by way of cajoling and, and sometimes coercing, um, he made it into a great orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like now, I mean, it's the first couple of years, it was maybe not so great and, and it just kept getting better and better. And now it sounds like it's really a, a fine orchestra. Well, I haven't heard them in a very long time, uh, but it's also a very different concept now than it used to be. I mean, now it's more like a festival orchestra with, with professional players who, who have jobs in other orchestras throughout the year. And then they come to join for for projects. But professional players still from Middle Eastern orchestras? Uh, no, many of them are in European orchestras. Um, so, uh, I mean... But, but for example, still Israeli or Arab speaking. players. I mean, it w- wouldn't be a German or an American who would be in that orchestra. Uh, I think there are always people substituting, you know. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the what the current situation is. Um, but there are many people of mixed nationalities and um, mixed ethnicities and so on. So it, it's just, it's not the, the um, it's not the raw group of, <laughs> of untrained players that it was when they first started, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and also in the um, documentary, it shows Baron Boyne with this, I think at the beginning, it was an 11-year-old piano Student, oh who yeah, played, played very well, and then Karim. years, yeah, Karim. and then yeah, yeah, yeah. years, yeah, yeah, just gets better and better. Yeah, yeah, he's a wonderful pianist. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned that, that you're not a journalist, and playing in the orchestra, it was easier to get people to trust you. Um, were there certain people that you asked that they said, "I really don't want to be involved in the in the project"? And also, I'm wondering if because you're dealing with a subject that to some people would be controversial. Have you had any negative pushback on the book by people saying... You know, interestingly, no. Um, yeah, I would have expected that there would be some, but maybe those people just didn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like it was a good bestseller. News, news. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the good thing about writing books. <laughs> not that many people read them unless you're really lucky. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you're John Grisham or Stephen King, yeah, yeah. it's different. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, of the people that I approached that I wanted to speak to, they all actually agreed to speak. Some of them wanted to change their names um, for political and security reasons, but otherwise, yeah. Like you might have noticed that there are two people um, whose countries I don't mention. Um, just because it it would have been it, you you can't. can't camouflage the people if you mention the country (laughs) Uh because if you have the country and the instrument then whoever wants to find out can find out who that person is so and that 
could put them in danger. Yeah, it could have in the past. Yeah. 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 Well, I played with, in the States, I played with the Utah Symphony and San Antonio Symphony. I never had to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's for sure. Yeah. So, well, let's talk a little bit about you and your, your cello playing. So how did you get started on, on the cello? Oh, I got a cello for Christmas when I was four years old. Four years old? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you were born in Pittsburgh, is that correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. And why did your parents, did you say, did you, say you wanted a cello? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> my, so my mom was, was and is a great uh, classical music lover, and she herself wanted to play an instrument and um, and there was only enough money in the family for one child to have music lessons, and that was her brother because he was the boy. So she really wanted to make sure that uh, that all her kids get music lessons, and especially the girl. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I started piano lessons when I was three, and my brothers played the violin, and um, my mother says that she... She thought I had big hands for a little girl, so cello would work. <laughs> and that was why. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And did you take to it immediately, or? Um, I remember. I remember the, yeah, the the kind of challenge of of trying to hold the thing and trying to hold the bow, and I remember how tiring it was. Um, I just I remember that I was determined to make this thing work. <laughs> Not that I, um, I wouldn't say that I thought. Yes, I love this, but it was just, uh, I was just very involved in it, the way kids can be involved in any kind of game, you know. Um, so it, I guess it was like a game and trying to figure this thing out, how to how to make it sound like something. <laughs> and and did you do Suzuki or something like that, or just have a regular teacher? I had the Suzuki books, but um, my mom actually i don't i still don't know how she managed to do this but she convinced ann williams who was the principal cellist and still is of the pittsburgh symphony at the time um to give me lessons as a beginner <laughs> oh I, you know i just about a, a a month and a half ago i had a, a very short piece played by the pittsburgh symphony and i was out there and i wish i had known that in advance uh, oh that would have been great <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, she was a great teacher. I was so lucky and, and to have were, her as my first and you were teacher. Four years old. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think my mom convinced her that she already knows how to read music, and she plays the piano, and um, it'll be easy. I'll make her practice. <laughs> and she did. And she did. <laughs> uh huh. Wow. Okay. Well, you yeah. must have been really talented because you ended up going to Juilliard, and was that for your bachelor's? Well, first I was there for the pre-college division. Oh, okay. So I started in the pre-college division when I was um, eight, going on nine, because we moved to New Jersey when I was eight. And um, yeah, actually, I'll never forget the day I auditioned for Juilliard Pre-College, because we were fresh out of Pittsburgh. We were not big city people. <laughs> we went, I, I went to do my audition for Juilliard. Um, and then we put the cello, my little half-side cello, put the cello in the car, parked it on the street in New York, <laughs> went to get something to eat, came back, and the cello was gone. Oh, no. 
somebody oh, had broken it because it was this old Buick station wagon and you could see exactly what was in there. And of yeah. course, I think my parents had their briefcases in there too. <laughs> you know, oh. we were really not city people. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that was my introduction to New York City that my cello got stolen. Oh, and so what, how did you do the audition? Are you, oh, that you was say? after the audition was over. Oh, it was after it was over. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. And so you had to go out and buy another cello and yep. everything. Well, it, it so happened, I think, that I was ready for the next size. I was ready for a three-quarter size. So, you know, it was okay. <laughs> you ended up um, finally getting into Juilliard. Yes. Correct? So, right. I went to college there, too. Did my bachelor's there. Mm-hmm. And who was your teacher? Fred Sherry. He was, the at the time, uh, music director of the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. That's right. I met him one time, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. yeah, great guy. Really, yeah. really great guy. He was, I, I notice a lot of the things that he did with me in lessons creeping into my own teaching. Um, huh, such as? Uh, like he used to make me improvise in lessons, which nobody had done before. Um, and and he would make me do very difficult polyrhythm exercises with metronomes. And um, so... Uh, and and also just he he really forced me to be uh, creative and spontaneous. <laughs> and you do a fair amount of modern music now, don't you? Uh, now not so much. I did a lot more before. Yeah, I okay. used to sub quite a lot with the Ensemble Modern when I first came to Germany, and and for many years after that. Mm-hmm. So that probably helped with that. I oh, definitely. Think. Yeah, yeah, immensely. Yeah, and he yeah. he also really sparked my interest in um in contemporary music. I had not really been exposed to much before studying with him. And New York is a great place for contemporary music yeah. in general, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I used to go hear him play um in different places wherever he was playing. Was, he was the head of Lincoln Center Chamber Play, yes. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for several okay, years. For a long time, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and did, did you go then straight from Juilliard to Germany? Oh, that was all really coincidence how that happened, actually. Um, I was actually, um, I was supposed to go to San Francisco. I had uh, <clears throat> played for Bonnie Hampton. I was going to get my master's at the San Francisco Conservatory, I had a scholarship and a loan all lined up. And in May of that year, I suddenly thought, no, 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 this is all wrong. I don't know why, but this is all wrong. I have to cancel it. And just on a feeling. I just, yeah, total gut feeling. Canceled it all. Um, And so the only plans I had remaining were that I was going to go to... um, to Japan on tour with the Juilliard Orchestra. And then I was going to go to Schleswig-Holstein Festival in um, July and August. And after that, I had no idea what was going to happen. So I did that. I went to Japan. It was great. Um, went uh, to the Schleswig-Holstein Festival. And and that really totally changed my life, that festival. Because um, to be honest, after four years of Juilliard... Well, it was 12, including pre-college. Yeah. <laughs> but the pre-college experience was very different. College was really, really hard for me. Um, I First of all, I had problems with my arms. I had tendinitis. 
I couldn't play for, I would say, half the time that I was studying. Um, so psychologically, it was just enormously difficult. I had, I put so much pressure on myself to figure out a way to survive after graduation. I had no idea how I was going to do that. Um, I was, I was almost ready to throw in the towel, really, at the end of the four years. And then I came to Schleswig-Holstein, the whole pressure of being at Juilliard and being in the city and having to prove myself all the time was suddenly gone. It was just evaporated. And, um, and the atmosphere of the festival was so much lighter and younger and more playful. And we also had these really wonderful coaches there. They were, for the strings, we had the, the members of the Rosamunda Quartet, who are no longer in existence, but they were they were a great quartet and they were wonderful teachers and they were so encouraging. Um and we we played chamber music and we had we had good conductors for orchestra projects and 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 it was such a nice atmosphere. I wasn't used to this atmosphere of of supportiveness <laughs> coming from Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> so um and and I just so while I was there I thought well if I'm going to do this music thing that's going to be here because I also I could not believe that we would go to these little tiny places in the middle of northern Germany and play in a barn and 500 people would show up to the concert yeah that's amazing <laughs> for a youth that's orchestra great. yeah I just I couldn't believe it uh, and and also so many things fell into place for me that summer. Um, the the director's wife was the sister of the guy who started the festival in Kronberg, which is a really big thing for string players. At the time, it was only cello. They got me a scholarship to go to master classes there after the festival was over. I kept postponing my flight back to uh, to New York. And that was easy to do because Lufthansa was the sponsor. <laughs> so all I had to do was call and say, I want to go three weeks later. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's great. It was very luxurious back then. Um, and so all these opportunities came up. And uh, the, the members of the Rosamundo Quartet were founding, at the time, they were just about to found this new chamber orchestra in Munich. And they asked some of us players from the orchestra to join. So that was some of my first paid work in Germany. Um, and so I just, I just ended up staying in Germany. I stayed, instead of going home in August, I went home in November. Um, and it was only to pack my suitcases, take some German lessons and move back in December. Wow. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And your tendonitis just sort of cured itself or no that's a long long story <laughs> um because my body has always been very sensitive to all the emotional pressures i feel and so if i don't deal with them um emotionally they go straight to muscles tendons stomach um so the tendonitis and just general back and neck problems i had to work on that for years and years and find ways, first of all, to, um, to take the pressure off myself and then also to physically make myself stronger and more flexible. So 
a big part of that has been weight training, which really? nobody weight, tells string players, right? Wow, nobody tells string players that, but cello playing the cello is physically demanding. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why there are a lot of very tall male cellists. <laughs> there are not a lot of small female cellists. And yeah. I was lucky in that I had, I had a role model. My, my teacher, my first teacher, Ann Williams, was a small woman with small hands. Uh-huh. Um, but still, you have to have some physical strength. And, and I realized when I started doing weight training that... W- was that your idea? Excuse me for interrupting. But, no, my, oh, husband, some, my a... husband is a physiotherapist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. Yeah. A I mean, civilian. I had, <laughs> civilian, right. <laughs> yeah. I had always done uh, a lot of um, physical activity. Like I, I did martial arts. I did yoga. Um, I, I was always into jogging, hiking, biking, but I would never have thought of doing weight, weight training really. Um, so it was my husband who got me into it and, and created a program for me. And that totally changed my life. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the tendonitis at the beginning was not necessarily related to a technical problem of playing the cello, the way you would hold the bow or the cello or something like that, but it was no. more just uh, psychologically stress related. I think it was, it was both stress related and it was a uh, physical compensation because I realized when I started training my shoulders and my back muscles, that when I play in the upper positions on the cello and the, on the fingerboard and thumb position, that I didn't lift my shoulder anymore. Cause if you're not strong enough in your, I mean, you can try this. You, you reach out your, your arm and try to pr- press down something that is fairly far away from you. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. And that's what, yeah. that's what we're doing when we're playing in the thumb position. Uh-huh, and okay. that also on the left side, which is not my dominant side. So if you don't have enough strength in the back and shoulder muscles to, to support that, then you end up compensating by lifting the shoulder and trying to push from the, from the elbow. And, and that's all very unhealthy physiologically speaking so having that stability in the back and the shoulders really really helped so let me ask you a question that's probably really far-fetched related to basketball of all things (laughs) (laughs) and um one of my favorite authors is david halberstam who who passed away uh, several years ago and he would he wrote on a a number of different subjects and great writer but at between books, he'd write a sports book, and he and he wrote this one book about Michael Jordan. And uh, early on in his career, um, the Bulls had not won a championship yet, and and Michael Jordan would always get beat up by the Pistons, which were sort of the bully basketball team at the time. And so he decided he had to really start working out with weights, and they got the best person for him. And and this person told him at the beginning, he said, "Okay, so we're going to take this gradually, but." You'll notice, like, in, this was during the off-season. He said, you'll notice when you're practicing, you're going to start missing some shots you normally make because your muscles are changing very gradually. And mm. don't worry, you'll get used to it, and you'll start making the shots again. Did you find that was the same thing for you when you started weight training, that that um, it felt a little bit different, and maybe you had to change position of your, Actually, your finger no. position or something? You know what? It was like... It it was it was a total revelation to me. Huh, okay. It was like, oh wow, that's how it's supposed to feel. 
Wow, interesting. That, uh-huh. So it can be this easy, really? <laughs> huh, okay. That's what it was like. Because I had always had to work so hard. And you know what I also discovered? Um, students, hold your ears. Because <laughs> I realized that when I started working out, I didn't have to practice as much. Um, because... You did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> because so much of what I used to practice was just for security. And that mm-hmm. security was just there once I developed the strength to support it. Wow. Not so for you... everything, but for, yeah. for a lot. <laughs> and you still, so you do, you work out, what, like maybe three times a week? I usually don't manage three times, but at least twice. And okay. and when I'm traveling, I have I have resistance bands I bring with me and all sorts of things. Wow. And so with the students that you teach at the Freiburg Musikhochschule, um, do you suggest that to them? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not everybody takes me up on it. Most of them don't. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. They're busy and it's, it's expensive to join a gym and it's one more thing to do. And uh-huh. um, yeah, but... Uh, I and at some point I'm going to drag my husband out there again and have him <laughs> give them a little a little uh, class and lecture on that would you, be great yeah. yeah to do a master class yeah I wonder if ha- how that would work for for trumpet but I think it's a different set of muscles maybe yeah well he has worked yeah. with all different kinds of musicians so he could yeah. probably talk to you about that <laughs> yeah I mean because in the past um, I'd say when I was a student the two iconic trumpet players. One was a soloist, Marie Sandre, and the other was an orchestral player, Adolf Hirsch at the Chicago Symphony. Neither one was what you would call a physical specimen. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they were not going to run the Ironman triathlon, shall we say. Right. And uh, you know what? I think, and of course, there are loads of, loads of musicians of all kinds who, who don't do any kind of exercise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they can just do it. Um, I was never that person and and I think it's it's very difficult for students for young musicians to see um people who can who can just do it and then and then believe oh that's what I should have to be that's what I should be able to do too um I should just be able to um to to perform all the time under any circumstances and not take care of my body uh, it's just not true for most of us. And I, I see that there are some freaks of nature <laughs> who are like that, who who really don't take care of themselves or what I would consider taking care of oneself. Um, and, and they can still perform miracles. But most of us are not like that. And, and I think that's something that really needs to change in our current, um, forms of musical education that we talk about how you maintain a healthy physical and emotional life. Please join us in the bonus room where I ask Elena about her career path, beginning with her appointment as principal cello with the Deutsche Oper Berlin to the present day where she is a member of the Hegel String Quartet and professor of cello at the Freiburg Musikhochschule. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to leave a review. Yeah.